Hi, I'm Beth Fuller, and you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast. I know the world can feel intimidating or scary at times, but I'm here to tell you it doesn't have to be. Through the lens of food, we can learn so much about one another, celebrate our differences, and maybe eat some tasty food along the way. Are you ready to do this? I know I am. So let's go on a food adventure together right now. Hey everyone, you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast. I'm your host, Beth Fuller, and this is episode 49. Woo! Almost to the end of the year. If you're new to the podcast, thanks for joining us. If you've been here a while, then you know what I'm about to say. Don't take notes. I've taken all the notes. Go to my website for everything, elizabethrfuller.com. And while you're there, check out my amazing food and product photography. It's what I do for a living. Hit me up if you need any photos. I help brands increase their revenue, and I'm damn good at it. If you have any questions for the podcast, if you want to be on the podcast, if you need culinary sleuthing of any kind, shoot me an email. Let's go on a food adventure at gmail.com. And of course, tag me in all of your food adventures on Instagram at let's go on a food adventure. All right, you guys, let's do this. Let's go on a food adventure. So did everyone survive Thanksgiving? Is everyone still in a turkey coma? I hear you. I had two Thanksgivings. They were lovely. And I think we polished off the last bits of pie and cake that we had left over like a few days ago. Um, All right. I'm just going to kind of dive into this week's episode because it's something very near and dear to my heart. It's about uh, living with a chronic illness. I never thought, I mean, when you're young, you just think you're a superhero. And then as you get older, you still kind of think you're a superhero until you're not. And I still am a superhero and I'm not letting this define my future, but it is something I am taking very seriously in my life. And about a year ago, I was diagnosed with intracranial hypertension, which basically means that there is excess fluid and pressure in my brain, which is causing swelling and this for me, swelling on my optical nerves. It's what they call idiopathic, which means the doctors don't know why this is happening. It's a word I absolutely loathe and hate with the fire of a thousand suns. And um, there is very, very, very limited research done on this. And from what I can find on the internet and the deep dives I've done on Google many times over and my friends and family members and colleagues who have asked to help do some research as well, what they could find is really that it's mostly prevalent in women who, cisgender women who are in their late childbearing years, and it is, and they are overweight. And so it's something that once it is identified in your body, the doctors have said to me, it will never go away. And all of these words I'm using, I don't necessarily because I understand the power of of language and words and when you string them together as I'm about to it it's it sounds horrible to me because I've never knock on wood not so much as gotten stitches in my life so hearing you have a chronic illness at 40 is uh, a really tough thing to swallow digest and process and I'm still processing it like I've been seeing specialists and my neurologists and a neurosurgeon and everyone else under the sun, eye specialists and, you know, I'm doing all the things, but it's still really hard to talk about. 
And the reason I'm talking about it today on the podcast is because I wanted to be open and honest and transparent in the hopes that one, you get to know me a little bit better, but two, that maybe you're listening and you've gone through this. Maybe you have more information on it. I would love to hear. I'm still trying to figure out why this is happening in my body um, because I refuse to take I don't know as an answer uh, in anything in my life, <laughs> let alone my health. <laughs> like That's not an acceptable answer for anything. It's just not. You, it, We're going to figure this out. So if you have any information or you're going through something similar, please feel free to reach out. Uh, let's go on a food adventure at gmail.com. Now, I figured I wanted to also say how I got diagnosed with this in case you have any of these symptoms or are curious or, or whatever. But I was diagnosed on a total fluke. Um, my, I have no symptoms. The symptoms would be loss of vision. And as I have been told by my team of doctors, once you lose it, you lose it. There's no take-sees, back-sees. Um, and then after that or before that or sometime during that, you also get severe migraines to the point that you can't um, function. So, yay. But we're going to avoid all those things because I uh, that's not my future. Um all right. So anyway, I was diagnosed with this because uh, my eye doctor caught uh, something in my right eye that makes me predisposed to glaucoma. And he said, you know, I think at this point it'd be helpful to do a baseline glaucoma test. And I said, sure, because why not? I had nothing else going on. Dilate me, sir. Let's do this. And while you've dilated me, let's find some very expensive sunglasses I can buy while I'm here. No, I'm kidding. But anyway, so I did. He looked at it and he said, so <laughs> I'm seeing this tiny little thing. Would you, I'm not going to tell you what it is because I don't want you to Google it. He knows me very well. Uh, would you mind going and seeing an eye specialist? And I said, sure. So I went and did that. Again, no symptoms, still no symptoms, knock on wood, no symptoms. And I go to the eye specialist and that guy was a dick. <laughs> and he had the worst bedside manner I have ever experienced from a doctor in my life. He said, yes, you have swelling in both of your optical nerves, which is most likely caused by or potentially caused by a brain tumor in your brain. And so we need to get you in and get an MRI immediately. And I was like, huh? What? Like, again, never had stitches. Never. I just, I was floored to hear those words come out of somebody's mouth. And I'm 40. You know, like, uh, and it was 2020 going through COVID. I was like, are you fucking kidding me right now? Like literally. So anyway, got the MRI, no brain tumor, which means they don't know why this is happening. So at this point in my life, um, the doctors have told me this is something I will live with for the rest of my life and that it's something I'm going to have to be mindful of for the rest of my life. So they want me to lose 50 or 60 pounds and keep it off forever. And hopefully that will help keep this at bay and keep the symptoms um, from coming up. Because once they do, I've been told it's horrendous. Uh, so anyway, I could, you know, deep dive much more into food anxiety and fear around food and, and everything else. But the bottom line is I'm still processing this information. I'm still taking baby steps towards finding a solution that works for me. 
And I thought, again, that it would be helpful to talk about this out loud with all of you guys. And again, if if you're dealing with this or you want to talk about it together or, or whatever it might be, I'm here for you. So you're not alone um, in what you're going through. And But I am okay. I'm doing fine. I, uh, I have you know, doctor's appointments every, follow-ups every few months to check what's going on. And I'm sure that'll continue for the rest of my life. I, um, I don't have any symptoms, knock on wood. And I am just taking literally everything one single day at a time. But I will say this is something that's kind of hard for me to talk about in social settings with people. So, um, I'm sorry if you're listening to this and you feel blindsided and you're very close to me and you feel blindsided because I might have not had a chance to talk to you about this. Um, It's just really hard. It's really hard to navigate the waters of having something like this going on in your life. And then when you are in a social setting and somebody says something to you, they want to talk about this that's going on in me, it changes the whole tone of the the conversation it changes everything and it is from from my perspective of of having of the person that this is about it it's then it's on my mind the entire rest of the night it's already on my mind you know no pun intended but like it it's even more so so you know i love you all thank you for listening to me telling you what's going on in my world. But again, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm good. I am a-okay. So don't worry. If something's not fine, I will let you know. But my guest today, she's amazing. And she's going to talk about what's going on in her world. So my guest today, my guest today, she's a pretty freaking awesome person. Let me tell you. And another freaking awesome person connected us. I needed some help with my business and she happened to be an intuitive business coach and my very close and bestest friend in the world, Mike Doyle, who's been on the podcast a few times, connected us. She is, like I said, an entrepreneur and an intuitive business coach who's been in business for well over 13 plus years now. She is an inspirational speaker, a published author, and honest to goodness, just an incredible human. So please give a warm, warm welcome to Christine Clifton. Hi, Christine. How are you? Hey, Beth. I'm good. And you? Good. It is so good to see your smiling face. Same here. So Same here. Full disclosure, Christine and I met and fell in love because of our <laughs> common connection of Michael William Doyle. That's got, right. We have to give a shout out to Mike Doyle. We love him. And he connected us. And here we are now, friends. And we work together. And yeah, and it's amazing. I love having you in my life. It's oh, awesome. Oh, thank you. Same here. Your energy is just so contagious. So I love it. I'm also drinking a lot of tea with you on, on the call. So you, might, you might see it even get up higher. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Um, all right. So I know about you, but our listeners don't necessarily know all about you. So where did you grow up? Where do you live now? Sure. Yeah. Well, I consider Columbia, South Carolina, my home. I was an army brat. So I landed there in second grade, born in Kansas, 
uh, did not know Dorothy, but that's where I was born. And uh, being part of a military family, we moved. Um, I have three brothers. We were all born in different states and we're all about a year apart in age, a year oh to a year gosh. and a half. I know. God bless my mother. No kidding. So, yeah. And um, I landed here in Saxbaha, um, easy for me to say, North Carolina. And uh, yeah, I can tell that story if need be. But I'm, I live in Saxbaha, North Carolina, which is equidistant between Raleigh and Greensboro in central North Carolina. Oh, okay. That's cool. And you, how many places have you lived? Because I know you've lived in New Jersey. You've, li- you've kind of, you've lived in a lot of places <laughs> in the U.S. Well, when I landed in New Jersey in 1997, that was my 10th move in eight years. <gasps> yeah. So you have moving I, down to a science. Well, I think I, what I like to say is I think it was implanted in my DNA as an army brat. We became, I think, just very adaptable as very young people. And I was in the retail department store industry and I worked for a very small retailer that is only in tertiary markets. So in order to be promoted, I had to be, I had to relocate. So, you know, me and my cat, you know, would just get in the car and go to the next place. And (laughs) it was nothing to me. And then I landed in Jersey and I lived there uh, two or three or four different places in Jersey over the course of I guess, 20 years, which was less moving than yeah. I had done before. Um, and then woke up one day and decided I just couldn't take the frenetic energy anymore and that I wanted a little more slow pace in my life and warmer weather. So uh, again, very long story, but landed in Saxbaha after a little bit of a cumbersome following the universal clues kind of a thing. I think I have to write a book about that. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, even that just one part of the journey, the fact that you live in Saxbaha, like, I mean, <laughs> I didn't know there was a town, no offense to the residents of Saxbaha, but I really didn't know that name even existed because up here in New England, we have the town names are very British, right? Like origins from where we got colonized by. And then as you go into New Jersey, they tend to be a little more Native American names. And, and then you get down to the mid the mid east coast and you're like i don't know what happened (laughs) (laughs) i don't know what happened there well ironically enough we're recording on indigenous people's day Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. um our village was founded originally by a native tribe called the sisipaha indians okay so i don't know how saxapaha came out of sisipaha but i guess close enough (laughs) yeah i'm sure some somebody who colonized the area couldn't pronounce it right and then probably yeah here we go i know yeah arrogant white person 100 yeah (laughs) so now as much as i want to talk about because we you and i could go on a tangent as we have for hours on end about anything totally we're today we're talking about some something very near and dear to my heart and your heart what it's like to live with a chronic disease and before we jumped on I gave people an intro of who you are and what's going on in my world and so I would love to talk a little bit about what's going on with your health um when did you first realize something was wrong yeah I mean that's actually a challenging question to answer but I'll answer it in a short way believe it or not it was shortly after I landed in Saxbaha when I got really ill but I had gotten 
I don't even know what to call it, less ill than I was in 2018, back in 2016 when I headed into perimenopause. So, you know, we've, we've had this conversation mm-hmm. about the, the lack of understanding of the role of estrogen in a lot of uh, medical studies and whatnot. So, uh, so for me, I knew something was up then, but I just kept trying, I kept taking like, you know, clean food detoxes and things like that. And I would feel better, but then get icky again. But for some reason, when I landed in Saxbaha, I got really, really, really sick. Now, that being said, my first chronic illness, I have a whole list of acronyms, lucky me, was actually back in 1998. And that's when I was first diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is an autoimmune Mm -hmm. uh, disease with that attacks the thyroid. So I, like I'm heading into my 25th year of chronic illness, believe it or not, but it wasn't until my diagnosis, just this, uh, two springs ago that I can now link everything, almost everything back to that new diagnosis. So it has been quite, quite the, the, the journey. So what were some of those first symptoms that you, when you started getting, like you said, really sick that you were noticing? And I mean, you, we swear on this podcast, (laughs) if you feel like you get a little TMI, you know, Hey, Oh yeah. Well, we've already done disclosure. We're not doctors. Uh, we're not physicians, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, sometimes we have to talk about the TMI stuff too. And so we're here for it. Well, you know what I find is sometimes that stuff is the most helpful. I, just this morning, I spent about 20 minutes in direct message on Facebook with a woman in one of my support groups, and I was trying to help her with her daughter. Um, and, you know, my disclosure with her, too, was I'm not an expert. I'm not recommending anything, but I'll share my experience and take the, you know, take the clues um, that feel right for you. So I'll start with when I hit perimenopause, which was back in 2016, I started getting body-wide inflammation. Like I swelled up from a size 10 to like a size 12, 14. Um, And nothing was different. Like you weren't eating anything different. I wasn't eating anything different. Um, I, I had joint pain, um, I was having some abdominal issues, you know, GI issues. Now I'd had GI issues my whole life, but not severe, like Mm -hmm. I was having actual pain. And um, so that's when it started. I would actually step, I could feel the pain in my feet when I would actually take a step. And I realized it was really that my feet were so inflamed. I just didn't realize that was it. It's kind of, you've heard that like boiled frog analogy where you can, if you turn up the temperature and a, a frog will boil itself to death because it doesn't know those incremental changes. It doesn't oh, okay. recognize them versus <laughs> throwing a frog. That. You haven't heard that? <laughs> no, that must be in, down in North Carolina. <laughs> no. Well, no. In the South, we do have, yeah, we do have funny phrases like that. Um, but yeah, the, the boil frog, you know, analogy is that you don't notice the incremental changes, but if you throw a frog in boiling water, it'll jump out. Like, I don't know if that's the case. I think it would still boil itself to death, but that's the analogy. Okay. So yeah. I just don't think I was noticing the incremental 
changes. I noticed my clothes were getting too tight. You know, I had a little jiggle jiggle in my arms that I didn't have before. I'd sit down and I had this belly that I didn't yeah. have before. And a lot of times then people will, will, will gaslight you and be like, oh, it's just your, you know, menopause, your metabolism slowing down, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Something else is going on here. There you go. And that's, I mean, for me, that has to been my secret really is, is really allowing my intuition to guide me. Um, I, I think when I fell ill in 2018 here in Saxbaha, it was with the environment. It was, I was having severe allergies and it was strange because I hadn't had as severe allergies as that before, but the other symptoms I was having was was lethargy. Like I literally couldn't get up off the sofa or I would just feel like I was in some, it wasn't just brain fog. Like I really felt like I was in another world, like almost asleep, but not asleep, wow. but I couldn't, it's almost like that dream that you can't wake yourself oh out of. Yeah. And when I finally went to a doctor, my blood pressure was like 90 over 50 which is really low. Yeah. And, um, there wasn't, she had no, um, she had no, um, you know, idea what was going on. Now I'm like the queen of Google. Okay. So I came home and Googled, um, unusual reasons for low blood pressure. I just plugged something like that in and I saw anaphylaxis. And I was like, can I really be, I mean, I can't be an anaphylaxis. Like my throat isn't swelling up. You know, you get these images of what someone, you know, going into anaphylaxis looks like. So as I researched some more, I saw something called mastocytosis. And then I'm like, I don't think it's that. And then I found something called mast cell activation syndrome. And I looked down the list of symptoms and I was like, oh my friggin' God, mm. this is me. So I messaged my doctor back who, who then, had me do some tests, which were all, of course, inconclusive. Mm -hmm. um, but I said, hell no, I'm not living with this. So I researched, you know, what a, a protocol would be for mast cell activation syndrome and started, it started improving my symptoms. So you know, I went with it. So that's how it all started. And it became a little bit of a domino effect from 2018 into 2019. I started getting lightheaded almost, I almost passed out in a grocery store and the universe placed a friggin' uh, paramedic in line behind me at the checkout who almost carried me over to a, a bench to sit down because I almost passed out. Um, so it's having these weird symptoms of lightheadedness, of heart palpitations, of blood pressure fluctuations. Then I get uh, a little on Google and try to figure that out and found something called dysautonomia. And I'm like, what the heck is going yeah. on here? And then I started having even more joint pain, like to the point where I was afraid I'd like torn something in my knee and, uh, my neck was like hurting really bad. I kept throwing my neck out. I'm using air quotes here for the listeners. And I would get like, you know, pinched nerve in my neck. And I went on muscle relaxants because my doctor did that. And like, none of that was helping. And in this whole process, I stumbled. I don't even know how I found my first support group online, um, but I did. And these people were my saving grace. Uh, in my case, I landed in a very knowledgeable group and um, 
they pointed me different directions with what I was sharing. And of course, I searched a lot of prior conversations in that group as well, and just started piecing things together. Um, started seeing specialists to try to get answers. Most of them basically said, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. Um, thank goodness no one ever said it was just in my head, or I probably would have gone, you know, yeah, mental, yeah, postal on them. But um, I have screamed at a doctor before because of gaslighting. Uh, but anyway, it was this confusing time. Like I, it almost, when I look back now, I don't know how I even made it through. I was just bumbling through not only life, but as an entrepreneur, solopreneur, single woman, I still had to make money and run my business and, you know, push through and all this stuff. So it was just really this survival mode that I went in uh, until I started getting a handle on things. Yeah, no, I, I, I can't, I, I'm speechless because I, I, I know also other things that you've been very transparent about struggling with in your entrepreneurship and then to know that that's also going on too in the background. I mean, it's like, what, what more can I take? Yeah. Like, I literally like the next snowflake that falls in my head right now, I'm going to collapse. Like I am done, done. So at this point, what is your official air quotes, uh, diagnosis or diagnoses? Yes. Well, I always, I'm a root cause gal. I mean, mm -hmm. I do that not only in my business practice, but also with health, because I always want to get to the root cause and not just put a bandaid on a gaping wound. So my root cause diagnosis is something called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, hypermobile type. And there are, believe it or not, 13, 14, 15 different types of EDS, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And mine happens to be the hypermobile type. And it's the only one that is not yet genetically mapped. So it's only a clinical assessment diagnose, um, assessment that will diagnose it. The, what, what the fancy word for other ailments that come along with that is comorbidity. So I am also, I also have comorbidities of dysautonomia, specifically postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, POTS, P-O-T-S, as well as vasovagal syncope, which simply means you faint for no reason. Um, I also have a comorbidity of MCAS, mast cell activation syndrome that I mentioned earlier. And with that, though it it doesn't really have an acronym to go with it. There are some severe GI issues that come with that cluster. Um, <laughs> cluster. That's yeah, one it is cluster. a cluster. Yeah. Um, I actually, in the process of getting well, because I had my ge genetics done, I ran genetic testing, I paid for genetic testing, found out that I had hemochromatosis hereditary hemochromatosis, which is an iron overload disorder. So my body was absorbing too much iron and that was never discovered, even though I had wacky iron numbers um, until I got the genetics and finally had somebody look at it in the right way and started getting treatment for that. I do have Hashimoto's thyroiditis technically still. And, um, I think that's it in terms of my formal acronyms or, or diagnosis. And they're all linked together. The, it's funny you ask that. The, believe it or not, the hemochromatosis and the thyroiditis technically isn't. Mm. However, 
Ehlers-Danlos syndrome seems to be more prevalent in Northern European heritages. The same is true with hemochromatosis. Mm. So with that heritage, it isn't uncommon for those to be uh, occurring uh, together. With the thyroiditis, what I am finding is that one of the compounds in some of the foods that I was eating could have contributed to the autoimmune reaction. And so believe it or not, in, in, in about four months, I have halved my thyroid medication because of the dietary change I made when I found out what compound attacks the thyroid. And so I have halved my thyroid medication because as I've stopped eating that compound, it's called an oxalate, um, my thyroid started functioning better. And so, so my what were the, doctors, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. What was the thing you stopped eating? Like what were your diet changes? Well, oxalate is most, it's most commonly found in spinach. And so when people start talking about kidney stones or having kidney stones, that happens because oxalates bind with calcium. You'd think I was a doctor. I know so much. It's so funny. Um, I hear myself talking like, good God, girl, you'd be so good on jeopardy. If there was like the medical (laughs) Medical. categories, you could crush it. Um, so it's similar to that. So apparently when, when people go uber healthy and start eating, let's say even a vegetarian, diet, if not vegan, then you're absorb. you're eating a lot more oxalates than typical. And some people become overburdened with oxalates. Some people get kidney stones. And in my case, I didn't realize that was part of what was happening to my body um, was the oxalate thing. And it, 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 some of my health has happened by mistake where I've done something that caused something that helped me see something else was at play. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I, in a random way discovered I had this oxalate issue. And when I started adhering to removing as much oxalates from my diet as possible, then I started improving dramatically. Um, dramatically. I had a major weight loss. I I've lost like 20 pounds in, I don't know, 10 months, but some of that is because I became over-medicated with my thyroid meds because of the oxalate change. And so some people have a histamine, they call it histamine intolerance, but I I really kind of buck that term because it isn't an intolerance, it's an overload. So for me, the mast cell activation dumps mediators into your body, one of which is histamine. And when you, when you dump more than your body can degrade on its own, you have an overload of histamine, which causes all kinds of issues, especially in your gut. And so that was a big thing that was happening with my foods. So I began to reduce histamine dramatically. I found out I was sensitive to something called salicylates as well. So I reduced my salicylates. Then I found out about the oxalate, reduced my oxalates. So my well, safe- if it ends with a late, you're not, you right. should not have it is what that comes down to. <laughs> so my <laughs> safe food list is very, is, well, it's not as short as some people in my support group. So I'm very thankful that it's as big as it is, but, um, but at least right now it is a very tight diet. Yeah. And I'd love to talk more about your diet, but first, uh, do a lot of these things, because you said something was hereditary, but are a lot of these hereditary and get passed down from generation to generation, or 
Like, well, is it just like I eat too much spinach and here I go? Well, it's both, believe it or not. Mm. I mean, the, the, if the listeners or you have ever heard the term leaky gut, yep. that is, that means our gut wall is too permeable and it's leaking things into our blood system that shouldn't be there. So your body attacks it. That's what the mast cells do. They're warriors. They head out and start killing, you know, the foreign substances, which then dump all those mediators. So you don't have to have a genetic issue for you to be impacted in that way. Now with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, um, I was diagnosed in, um, I think February of 2020. I had my mom go to the geneticist at 80 years old. She got diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, same hypermobile type. My middle brother went to the geneticist. He got diagnosed with something called hypermobility spectrum disorder, which is just a different on the spectrum of Ehlers-Danlos. And then his daughter, my niece, was diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome as well. So that definitely runs in the family. The hemochromatosis, I've got like this lucky roll of the dice where my dad's gene and my mom's gene linked together to cause my issue, but no one else in the family has an issue like I do with the iron overload in that particular case. Um, so yeah, some of it is genetic, some of it's passed down. Both my parents have thyroid issues as well, um, but a lot of women have thyroid issues as well. So, you know. Yeah. And for people who don't know, what is, if I pronounce this wrong, Eller Stanler, Stanler, syndrome. <laughs> That's okay. okay. Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. There we go. Yeah. So um, the way I like to fast. describe it kidding. is imagine your connective tissues are um, too porous. They aren't dense enough as they should be. So I kind of equate it to, you know, you buy 800 count sheets versus 400 count sheets. People with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome has like 100 count sheets in terms of their connective tissue. So they aren't as dense as they should. This makes our, our joints hypermobile, meaning that they move more than they should. Some of us have double jointed. If you ever had that friend in school who could like put their ankle behind their head or, you know, bend your thumb down to your forearm, um, any kind of circus tricks like that, they're likely hypermobile. It doesn't necessarily mean they have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, but that is one uh, part of the Ehlers-Danlos that impacts the joints. The other part is we have permanent leaky gut because we have 100 sheet count connective tissues in our stomach. So things pass through because it's too porous and cause the mast cell activation stuff. The dysautonomia, which simply means that my autonomic nervous system, the stuff that's supposed to happen in the background, your heart, your lungs, blood pressure, all that stuff gets interrupted. And part of that is if you think about the heart that's supposed to constrict in the way that it does, if the tissues are already too porous, then it isn't constricting as much as it should because it, there's too stretchy. Mm -hmm. It doesn't get um, pulled in. And that's true with our heart, our lungs, um, our veins. When we stand up, postural orthostatic tachycardia is if you stand up, all the blood rushes to the bottom of your body. Normal people, your heart rate will pick up. It gets the blood going again and you're good to go. Ours pools at the bottom of our body because our veins are too stretchy. It just sits there. Mm. Um, so a lot of us wear compression garments on our lower limbs to push, to keep our veins tight so that our um, circulation uh, is 
mm. act, you know, works the way that it should. And then, like I said, the GI issues. Now, funny enough, there's studies today that are also equating uh, autism spectrum, ADHD, ADD is now found in a much higher prevalence with people with Ehlers-Danlos as well. So you think about it. If I have 100 sheet count connective tissues, that means my brain isn't communicating like it should as well. Like if the tissues aren't tight enough to help the cellular signaling to be what it should be as well. So there's anxiety that comes along with it as well. Wow. Yeah, lucky me. <laughs> Holy mackerel. Yeah, you hit the jackpot with that one. Jeez <laughs> Louise. And I, I know I'm making light of this and I understand how serious this is in your life and in a lot of other people's lives. So I'm not trying to joke about something so serious, but what else can you do? You, sometimes you gotta find, yeah, I don't know. I know. I know. I, we have to find the humor in it. And that's why um, it's, it's, believe it or not, uh, the Ehlers-Danlos Society of the U.S. keeps saying it's a rare disorder, but we're finding and expecting with the research that's newer, about 20% of the world's population has hypermobile EDS. And, you, wow. and that is that number isn't surprising if we think about the origins of Northern Europe, yeah. European, you know, Northern yeah. Europe. So it is much more prevalent. And the challenge is that because of the multi-system impact, there isn't one doctor that's an Ehlers-Danlos doctor. I have a, I have a team of about 15 doctors and practitioners right now who I don't see, you know, every month or anything like that, but they're on my team, cardiologists, rheumatologists, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, uh, so a lot of these disparate symptoms don't seem like they're connected. Uh, but one of the sayings that we have in our community is when you can't connect the issues, think connective tissues. So we have this little rhyme. <laughs> you have a little um, rhyme. Right? So <laughs> talk about humor. Like we have to make, we have to be fun about it. But yeah. surely that's, you know, that's our challenge is we go to different doctors, but I mean, they don't know about Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, much less, I mean, doctors in general are not trained for chronic illness, no. period. No. And so that's a big reason for a lot of the gaslighting, uh, in my opinion, but but yeah, it's, yeah. it's much more prevalent, but because of the disparate symptoms, it's rarely diagnosed. So, so I like yeah. to say it's not rare. It's rarely diagnosed. It's rarely done. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Now this obviously has changed your life completely and affected <laughs> your life in a lot, a lot of ways. One I, I'm imagining is with food. Um, because as the other saying was, we are what we eat. And from what was it from our head down to our feet? I think it's how the <laughs> old seventies and eighties. Another ride. Yeah. yeah, I know from like School of Rock or something. And um, what like what do you what does your diet look like? What are you cooking? What are you eating? Yeah, I mean the the irony of this as well is I've never loved to cook, but now <laughs> now that I have such a particular diet, I I'm much more you know careful and cautious. So right now I, I stay away from red meat because of my iron overload disorder. Um, and I eat chicken, turkey primarily. I also can't give up my bacon. I do eat bacon, but I eat. And you're in North Carolina. I mean, you I guys know. are in like Seriously hog country. Yeah. yeah, I know. Mm -mm. So nitrate free bacon is what I choose because the, the preservatives in regular bacon I react to. Um, and then on the vegetable front, it's unfortunately very limited cabbages, squashes, celery, um, 
I can't even remember what else, some most lettuces, but the dark green lettuces are very high in iron. And so I have to stay away from what most people say are the healthiest greens to eat because my body just absorbs too much iron. So I do a lot of sauteing, you know, I love to, I love grilled chicken on the grill. That's, that's one you know, thank God I can have my grilled chicken. And I do a lot of stovetop sauteing. And um, over the pandemic, even though I'm not a chef, I've tried to find gluten-free cookie recipes or muffin recipes so that I can um, know what's in them. You know, there's so many preservatives and things when you buy them packaged in the store. So um, I even hired a friend of mine who loves to bake, <laughs> to bake gluten-free muffins for me. Um, so yeah, it's a very simple diet. And then I will stretch out to try things now and then. Just yesterday, I tried something new and I can totally tell that I'm having mm -hmm. a reaction today. Very small because I had a very small amount. What was but it I that do, you tried? I tried something called sesame milk. Um, oh, sure. Yeah. It, 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 um, I got to be on the marketing focus group for, for their package change, which was a lot of fun. So they shipped me a K, you know, six boxes yeah. of different flavors of their sesame bulk. And I've been eyeballing it, like afraid to try it because sesame is very high in oxalates. Mm -hmm. And I thought, but it has, it has pea milk in it. It also had these other ingredients. And I thought, okay. And literally half of a shot glass I had yesterday and by the end of the day, I, I started feeling the reaction. Now, the TMI here is for me, oxalates end up in my urine and mm -hmm. it feels like having a chronic UTI. So, oh. so oxalates are crystals. And so when you dump oxalates, a lot of people think they have interstitial cystitis. I, they call it IC. But in my support group, a lot of women who thought they had that actually are dumping oxalates into their bladder. So again, TMI, it mm -hmm. literally shreds the tissues on the <gasps> inside of your bladder. So the goal is to try to take something to bind with the oxalates, which magnesium, calcium are, are two biggies that are part of my supplement diet because it binds to the oxalates so they don't get absorbed into the kidneys and cause kidney stones. Um, and then also taking things like a D-mannose um, to help heal the walls of the bladder as well. So yeah, my bladder started bothering me last night and this morning, just from a half of a shot glass of sesame milk. Wow. And you know, the amount of actual sesame seeds in that after they've been <laughs> processed is minuscule, right? Like, but that's yeah, how sensitive you imagine. are. That's incredible. That's yeah. incredible. So is yeah. there anything else that you're doing differently now than you were before beyond those food things and changes you've made? Uh, you mean like lifestyle changes yeah. in general? Oh gosh. Ah. Um, long, I mean, a long list of things, you know, one of the things the one of the favors I gave to myself that I didn't intend to consciously, but I'm, I think um, I'm a little bit woo. So I talk about spirit. So I'll, I call it spirit as opposed to God or whatever. I think it was a combination of spirit and the universe last summer. I finally owned that I'm a person with a disability. And even with all of what I've talked about is 25 years worth of chronic illness, I've never allowed myself and it doesn't come from a pity place it was like and it hit me like all of a sudden this big epiphany I'm like holy crap I'm a person with a disability the 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 unique thing about my disability isn't is just that I don't just 
use crutches or I don't just whatever fill in the blank. And again, like you, I don't want to diminish other people who use crutches or wheelchairs, but mine is multi-system. So when I go grocery shopping, I have to make sure that the bags aren't too heavy because if I lift them up, it'll pull my shoulders, Mm -hmm. my elbows and my wrist out of socket because my joints are too stretchy. So I have to make sure and bag all my stuff into much smaller bags than I would normally in the past. And I have to make a lot more trips to the grocery store, for example. Um, From a stamina perspective, when I was really ill, I made a major change to my client schedule in in my practice, in my business, because I was struggling uh, through the day and then I would feel like a freight train had hit me. Um, so now I take Tuesdays and Thursdays off from client work and I space out my client sessions on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday so that I have that space that I need in case I'm having an off day. Now, knock on a lot of wood, I'm, I'm on my way to not having those terribly bad days as I have had in the past. Um, things like gosh, you know, one of the things I teach in my practice is self-acceptance is a form of self-love. So when I get into an anxiety spiral or a little paranoia spiral or something with my brain where I would beat myself up about it, I now go, oh my gosh, you know, look at what's happening. And I have, you know, tools that I can use, you know, self-help tools. Um, And I don't blame myself because I'm like, that's my Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Like it is, my anxiety isn't something that I brought on myself for no, no reason. It's, It's actually the way my brain functions is different than other people. So I've made a lot of physical changes. Um, I have, I haven't been able to dance. I'm a dancer. I, I was dancing for 30 years. I taught dance. I taught dance fitness. So it's been a huge mourning and grieving process to have given up. It was swing dancing specifically. Mm. Um, and so, um, so now as I start to feel better, there's like blues dancing out here in North Carolina that isn't as rigorous as my swing dancing was. And so I'm starting, you know, of course, we're in the pandemic as this is being recorded. So um, the, vent, the dance venues haven't fully opened up yet. But once they do, I'll probably venture out, you know, to try that as well. But so my physical exertion um, has changed quite a bit with the dysautonomia and oh lucky me I'm in North Kakalaki with the the hot summers you know and I'm I'm literally indoor bound in the summer because the humidity just makes my dysautonomia worse my whole body is really heavy and then with the barometric pressure changes I have intracranial you know hypertension in my head so my um, I'm sensitive to, to low pressure fronts that come through as well. So I've had to really change my schedule and what I do because I'm indoors so much. And again, with the pandemic, I can't go out to a movie or couldn't go out to the mall or didn't feel safe, you know, until more recently. So a lot of that has impacted my life going to you know family events and looking at what they fixed and I always have a little cooler food in my car because, I don't know if I'll be able to eat, you know, what's at a place, you know, that um, I go to or a family event or a restaurant. So I think one of the biggest ways to sum that up is I have so much more pre-planning that Mm -hmm. I do now in my life between when I take supplements, when I take my foods, um, 
you know, how I go to the grocery store, I'll pick a day in the week that it isn't going to be icky outside in the summer, you know, to go grocery shopping. And um, so there's a lot more pre-planning to, to ensure that I'm not um, imposing anything additional negative, you know, on my body. Yeah. For any listeners who might be going through something similar, is there anything you'd recommend to them where they might be feeling that they're still processing maybe their diagnosis or they don't have a diagnosis yet or anything like that? Cause you've been through all of this and then well, some, I know. The, the first thing, I mean, there's so many things I would want to say. The first thing is to really acknowledge that it's a trauma. Like some people put trauma only in the category of something really severe, rape or, you know, whatever, like big, they call it big T and little T, which I can't stand as a side note. Um, I mean, trauma is trauma. It's a trauma. And so it, it can really ignite your fight or flight mechanism, your fear mechanism, anxiety. And that's the worst thing when you're chronically ill is to keep your fight or flight activated. So acknowledge it's a trauma and find some of your own management tools to keep your fight or flight at bay. Uh, the parasympathetic nervous system is the rest and digest. So I always recommend to people to do whatever they can do to stimulate that. Take a, take a Epsom salt bath. Um, if you're able to tolerate a massage, go get a massage. Um, anything pleasure, sex, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, put cream on your legs and really allow yourself to feel, you know, the pleasure of doing that for yourself. Mm -hmm. um, that is one, one way. So acknowledge it's a trauma and find some ways to help calm your fight or flight as best you can. And the second thing is, I know my magic, um, you know, superpower through all this has been my connection with source spirit, my intuition. And when I became severely ill in 2018, finally got the diagnosis that was late 2018 and early 2020. Some people have been going through as severe as what I was facing for decades without a diagnosis. So I would follow a clue. It's kind of like going on Google and looking at a tiny house video and then ending up on the sex life of the tarantula video. You know, you just have it's no so idea true. how you got there. It's so but, true. <laughs> but I just followed the clues. You know, I would go to the support groups and people would pile on their suggestions and experiences and I would sift through them and, and really listen to what felt right for me at any given time. So that would be, you know, the top two would be uh, uh, not like give yourself some grace. This is a trauma. There's no cookie cutter solution. It's going to be your solution. Do what you can to keep as chill as you can through the process. But then also don't overlook your intuition because doctors are going to be telling you stuff. People in support groups are going to be telling you stuff. Google's going to be telling you stuff. People are going to tell you, go to yoga. I mean, yoga is the worst thing for most people with EDS because we don't need to stretch. No, <laughs> we're no. already too stretchy, yeah. you know? So we have to really use the, use your intuition. So those are the two biggest ones I would say. I love that. And I got to, to wrap up the health journey part. This is, and I hate using the millennial term journey, but over the last 25 years, you have been on this huge health journey discovery. What has been one or two of your biggest 
aha moments that you're like, now you can reflect back on that. You're like, oh my God, I think we might've touched on them, but I thought it'd be a nice way to wrap up this chunk. Oh, sure. Well, definitely the, the, the biggest aha moment was giving myself the grace of saying you're a person with a disability. And it just like so much in my psyche and my body and my spirit just kind of locked into place when I acknowledged that. Um, and the diagnosis itself, it was like, finally, I'm validated because of, I mean, I had three doctors specifically say, there's no way you can have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, like specifically. And the reason they said that is they only looked at my joints and I, I'm not a circus act. I can't, you know, contort my body. But when I went to the geneticist and he took me through the full clinical, so the diagnosis was just so affirming and validating. And I could look back to those 25 years and see in all of it, the symptoms of that particular diagnosis. So those were, those were my biggest ahas personally. I love that. So you want to answer a couple of listener questions? Sure. All right. Kim from Instagram writes, I've been struggling with a medical condition, an autoimmune disorder, and feel like I've been developing a fear of food. There are certain things I can and can't eat, or I will get really sick. I really don't want to live in any type of fear. Did you have to go through something similar like this? Mm -hmm. And if so, were you able to overcome it and what helped you? Well, first of all, kudos to her for asking the question and getting, getting help. Totally, totally afraid of food. You know, for a while there, I didn't even realize that food was contributing to my mast cell activation issues. And again, following the clues, somebody clued me into hit the histamine thing. And then I took it from there. So, so yes, I was afraid of eating. I was afraid of food. And the biggest thing I think one of the things I say is knowledge is power. Like the true definition of empowerment is knowledge. And so to the best of your ability, doing, I don't know, a food elimination diet and then layering things back in to really be able to identify if you know what, to, to find out what your triggers are, if you can. With histamine, it's challenging, but I won't get into that right now because your bucket could be filling and you don't know it and something you didn't react to can react, you can react to later because your bucket's full, your histamine bucket. But it, for autoimmune, there's also a special diet. I don't know if she's aware. I think it's called the autoimmune, you know, a diet or something. And so it, it helps you look at things, your food from that perspective. So get the knowledge first so that you are empowering yourself with as much knowledge about what foods are a trigger for you in particular as you can. And then I think the other thing for me is to, you really, I, I need, I like to speak from the eye, um, because I'm not a doctor and I can't recommend, but when I allow the anger the frustration, the disappointment to show itself, like instead of stuffing it down or over positivizing it, if mm -hmm. that's even a word, like, you know, I, God bless the positivity movement, but I think it's a bypass sometimes. And we're allowed to feel angry. We're allowed to feel frustrated. So let yourself get those emotions out because I think that then creates the space for you to then be able to go, okay, this is what I can eat. And so that is you know, when I was tracking my foods, I had a can't eat and a can list. 
and, or actually it was actually a can't eat list. And my roommate at the time said, you know, what if you just did a can eat list? And I went, oh my God, I love that perspective. <laughs> yeah. And so I switched it to what I can eat. And so I bless it now because I know that when, that this is a form of self-care and that when I do eat on track, that I feel better, I am better, it's better for my body. And then finally, the thing I would tell her is that it's probably not permanent. That's how I look at mine. I, I know that I'm going to be able to eat spinach again or layer in something, you know, potatoes. Oh my God, I love fresh cut French fries, but I can't eat them right now because they're high in oxalate. So I just remind myself that it isn't permanent, that my body's in healing mode and it's, and it's a for now. Mm-hmm. I love that. It's a for now. It's I'm writing that down a for now. Beautifully said Lily in California writes, I will admit it here when something goes wrong medically with me or someone else, I totally air quotes, Google it and go down the dark rabbit hole of the internet. <laughs> Lily, we hear you. Yes. There's a lot of crap out there that people have written and have no idea what they're talking about. What resources have you found most helpful with your health journey? Oh, yes. I've mentioned them, but I'll, I'll just cite them again. There is a lot of crap out there on Google, but there is a lot of good out there on Google. It's amazing now what we get access to. And so I do prefer to look at things like PubMed or things from the National Institute of Health. Those, those case studies or, um, you know, um, research studies and, and findings there. But also there are now specialty groups that are coming up. For example, I take low-dose naltrexone. Now, some people might know naltrexone as ways to help people get recover from addiction, but they found that in low doses, it helps with uh, mitigate chronic pain as, along with a lot of other things. So anyway, there's a website for low-dose naltrexone that collects case studies and, and whatnot to, to take to your doctor to say, here's a proof that low-dose naltrexone helps with Hashimoto's thyroiditis or whatever. Um, so do stick to those as well. And I know there are some support groups that are more whiny than others. <laughs> God bless them. Um, so the, the two that I participate in, one is a local EDS support group, and one is um, something called the RCCX theory, which um, if you host links at the, on your page for this uh, podcast, I can provide the link if people are listening to what I'm saying. And yeah, are absolutely. By it. These people in that group are smarter than a lot of doctors. And I attribute them primarily to getting me on the path to health. So there are support groups out there who are knowledgeable. Um, you're always going to get the bully who's going to tell you to go to yoga when you know you shouldn't. Um, but you're also going to get a ton of people sharing experiences and little nuances to what you're facing that might be a clue for you. So those are my key resources, believe it or not. Nine times out of 10, I've taken a study or something to my doctors and asked them if they would be willing to test for this, you know, assess for that. And the ones who are more open-minded, which unfortunately are rare, are very open, you know, to talking about it and trying things, uh, at least they have with me. Um, that's a whole nother episode, perhaps dealing with doctors and, and helping them not just gaslight you, but be open to what you're saying. So those are my key resources is don't hesitate to do your own research. 
go to credible places, but also um, harmonize that with people's real life experiences because they will definitely give you clues as well. I love that. And we'll include those links in the show notes. Brenna from Instagram writes, I'm trying, I'm struggling to get a firm diagnosis from my team of doctors about what is going on with me. I'm trying not to give up. And on top of, on top of that, I'm also experiencing a lot of gaslighting. Have you ever had to deal with this? If so, how did you deal with it? Brenna, you are great at segueing uh, into what we were just talking about. Thank you. You know, gaslighting, it's a term that I think is becoming more and more prevalent. And I always caution people to really look at what that means. Gaslighting typically means that somebody is making you think that you're the problem for something that they're the, actually the problem of. So we, we use it a lot in medical, we say medical gaslighting a lot. Um, and yes, a lot of doctors will, especially women will tell women, um, you're just anxious or go see a psychiatrist. They even have a term for it's all in your head called conversion disorder. And so they'll diagnose you with conversion disorder. So, so yes, I have, I mean, I, I can picture myself in this office screaming at the top of my lungs at this one. um, He wasn't a doctor. I forget. He was a nurse practitioner or something who basically told me there's nothing wrong with me, even though he was looking at my diagnoses from multiple uh, doctors. And so knowing how to deal and approach with doctors or different practitioners is key. They know that they don't get trained for chronic illness and they don't always want to or know how to manage somebody long-term who's going to have consistent problems or issues. Secondly, come to them with questions instead of shoving the Google, you know, you get 15 minutes in that appointment, probably, if you're lucky with that doctor, if you're going through the medical industry. So you want to distill it down to the most prevalent symptom, what you want addressed immediately, and do your best to pose it as a question to to that doctor. Um, You might be saying, I've been reading a lot about whatever. What do you think about that? And you can lead them down a path of questions, which sometimes doesn't put them on their heels or ignite their ego, you know, too badly. The other thing I've done um, that was successful is I basically lied. And I said, I have a doctor in the family. And when they heard my symptoms, they said, fill in the blank, you know? So when I wanted to get a test about something, I said that to them. I have listen, I ain't got no shame at this point. I'm going to figure something out. And they agreed to run the test that I wanted because another doctor in my family said, blah, 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 blah. But I also ended it with, what do you think? You know, do you have the same opinion? So you kind of make sure you leave that door open for them to put their opinion in it. Um, And the other thing I'll say is if a doctor refuses a test or gaslights you or something like that, in that meeting with that doctor, tell them to put it in your document, in your online records right then. So if they refuse a blood test, then say, okay, would you put that in my record then that you're refusing a blood test for XYZ? And it magically a prescription for that blood work will appear. So they don't always want to make notes. And we all know that there's this view that we have as patients and there's a view that only doctors have of those visit notes as well. So you wanna do your best not to have 
give them reason to put in those secret notes that you're a problem or that you're refusing treatment. I mean, the best of your ability. Um, so try to use some of those techniques and, and see if you can't get where you need to, need to get. Most of all, trust your own self. And if you know something else is wrong with you, if you just keep at it one step at a time, one clue at a time, don't give up on yourself, be patient with yourself, but also know that they are, are not equipped to deal with chronic illness. No, it's very well put. Um, and we really hope that you figure out what's going on because it's super frustrating and we're here yes, for you. We feel it. We do. Evan in New York writes, I just found out I have an allergy to milk. Well, it's more specific than that, but to generalize it, let's just say it's all dairy products. Oh, you poor thing. My partner and I are very social and have a lot of friends and family nearby that we often see at parties, dinners. I really don't want to have to tell every single person who is cooking something for me that I have this allergy, but I'm not sure how to go out and be social with this. Like, should I bring my own food with me? Any help would be great. Well, earlier you, you heard me mention that I always have food with me. Um, not, I don't always bring, bring it in, but it's at least in the car if I need it. And if someone's hosting a dinner party in their house, for example, um, you could tell them you're vegan. Mm. Now, now you might eat meat, but vegan at least would eliminate the dairy products. And they may not know what vegan means. So you might say, you know, I can't have any dairy products. Um, or you might say, what are you preparing? And then might, you might be able to guide them how to pull out some ingredients to the side for you to make a vegan version. That might be one thing uh, to be done. Sometimes I will eat a full meal before I go out so that I know I'm eating, I have nutrition in my body, and there's usually likely one or two, I mean, there's at least a crudite tray probably with celery on it that I can eat, you know, um, so that I'm at least participating a little bit. Um, I'm like you, I mean, as you've heard, I have a very complex scenario with my body. So to go into gory detail is just makes people's eyes glaze over. So I just try to distill it down or make it as simple, you know, for them as possible. And the other thing I would say too, is to um, understand the degrees of relationship you have with different people. Like if you've got just an acquaintance, it may not be something you really want to go into as much, but someone closer to you is going to want to know what you're going through and possibly be able to help you probably for the most part. So that also might be something at play. Uh, so those are my tips for going out socially. I love that. And that's, and those are good tips. I mean, you like, you said even eating before you go out, so you're, you're full enough. Um, and yeah, it's not worth getting sick, Evan, eating no, something that not. has some kind of dairy product in it that you could get sick from. So it might be okay. To, it's as exhausting as it is to tell people what's going on, might might need to, um, just so you don't get sick because it's your body. It's your life. Yes, don't get sick, buddy. Exactly. Nancy from Instagram writes, writes, I saw your post on Instagram and my husband has a chronic disease. I know they're, they're not all the same, but I know that they can lead to a lot of GI issues and food sensitivities. I'm good about modifying foods, but I always am looking for new recipes to cook. Do you have any good recipes you love to cook? Well, you heard earlier yes. <laughs> that I don't love to cook. No, but okay. Um, so here's what I'd love to know. So you like, 
you eat a lot of cabbage, you said. Well, what I do, I have, um, and, and I'll go to the store, I'll go to um, Harris Teeter or Trader Joe's and grab those pre-made salads that mm. are in a bag, bag salads that mm-hmm. have mostly cabbage in it because it's already made. I don't like to cook. Gotcha. And ironically enough, I, can't, I used to buy whole squash and peel and cut them, but my hands are so sore for days after because of my Ehlers-Danlos syndrome that I'm now no longer even cutting and dicing mm. cat, you know, squashes. So I'm buying them pre-cut or frozen. Um, so yeah, I, I go for pre-made stuff. That's why I, li- I love Trader Joe's uh, because they have a lot of pre-made stuff or partially cooked stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm kind of famous in my little village for my soups and my stews. And I don't know how I started doing that. I think it was just from necessity, but I make a soup base that has chicken broth in it, frozen vegetables. Um, I saute turkey, ground turkey to put in it. I, um, what else do I put in it? Uh, I, I like to add a little fat to it. So I'll actually add butter to it as well. I have seasoned salt. I can eat a lot of salt believe it or not, because of my condition, it's actually needed that I eat a lot of salt. Um, So I add some seasoned salt into it as well. And if I want to turn it into a stew, I actually, I actually just add gluten-free breadcrumbs. Mm. So I buy packaged seasoned gluten-free breadcrumbs and will add it to my soup to kind of make it a stew instead of a soup. So it just depends on my mood. Um, And simple things can taste good. Like for me, it's magic that I can actually do that for myself because I've never loved to cook in my life. Um, So I do go out and buy the pre, now I love grilled chicken. So I like to batch cook as well, just because I like ease during my week and I want to be able to eat healthy on the fly and as much as I can. So I'll grill two packages of organic chicken breasts, um, freeze some of them. So the histamine doesn't build up. That's another thing. Leftovers are terrible for people with histamine issues because oh. histamine increases on leftovers um, as it ferments, I guess, or ages in the refrigerator. So I'll put some in the refrigerator and you should see my freezer. It's packed full right mm. now. Um, oh, one thing I make too. Oh, see, now I'm starting to talk and go like, okay, I actually- You do, do cook. I actually make quote unquote ice cream but it's from bananas. One oh, of my clients, nice cream. That's what people call it. Yeah. One yeah. of my clients wrote a book called party in your plants uh-huh. and it's a, it's a vegan cookbook. So there you go for recipes. Um, if you don't know who Tabitha Brown is, go look at <laughs> yeah. her TikTok, and um, she has recipes in her new book called I think I forget what her new book is. I just read it. It something just about came out too. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. Um, but I, I sliced um, very very well aged bananas because greener bananas I react to. So almost on the black side of bananas, slice them up, freeze them, throw them in the, uh, I have a little bullet blender and, um, it's the consistency of ice cream. And then I actually put dark chocolate chips in mine and I put them in individual. I bought baby food containers, four ounce baby food containers for the freezer. And now I have a little cup of ice cream that I can grab and go. Uh, so that's a fun one for me as well. Cause it's a little bit of a treat. Oh so, yeah. That's yeah. awesome. All right. Well, we'll put those things in the show notes and I love the uh, baby food container ideas because 
if when I make that, if I put it all in the freezer and freeze it, cause it's like the consistency of like soft serve ice cream once you blend it up. And so a lot of times you want to put it back in. So it'll firm up a little bit more yes. once you did your mix-ins. And when I put it in a big container and I freeze it, I'm like, I don't want to thought like, it's such a nightmare to try to chisel it out. And then you're just like, I don't even want this anymore. Yeah, exactly. That's the first time on. I made it. That's exactly what happened to me. And I'm like, there's gotta be an easier way. And, um, maybe even an additional answer to one of your earlier questions. One of the, another big aha is I get to make my life as easy as I want to make it mm. for myself. So buying baby food containers, um, it, it makes it easy. So yeah. I can grab, it's a portion it's easy. And there you love go. that. I love that. Erin <laughs> and Marilyn writes, I, I was recently diagnosed with a medical condition and I'm still processing the diagnosis. I'm exhausted at the thought of explaining it over and over again to people and then dealing with all of the follow-up questions. And really, it totally changes the tone of the conversation from light and happy to dark and depressing. And that's just not me. Do you have any advice on how to deal with this? Yes, I do. And it's a real thing. Like the, I, it is. I get exhausted too. And it's almost like, you just sort of like, I don't even want to talk. It's yep. almost like you don't even want to acknowledge it's happening with other people because it's so, and then the questions after the fact, I totally understand what she's going through. Yeah. I totally get it too. And I mean, sometimes, I mean, I would never ask tons of follow-up questions to somebody that just told me they had a medical condition. Um, but some people think it's their right to know. So there's a lot of different things you can do. When I started having issues with my health, I would send out a mass email to my family and friends so I could just inform everybody at once. Like, here's what's happening with me. Um, now with my family, especially with the genetic issues, I would send them a separate email, but I'm like, go get this checked out because this could be impacting you too. So that might be one method is just, and, but before you do that, I would really ask yourself what I mentioned earlier, who's closest to you? Who do you, who do you really want to open up that much to? Uh, because you don't have to, you don't have to give any explanations. You don't even have to say you're facing a medical condition if you don't want to. So, so really discern who you want to share things with and to what, you know, to what degree. Um, one of the things I do, I love questions. I teach this in my practice too, that you can ask people a question like, you, could, you might say, I've just been diagnosed with a, with this, uh, a challenging medical condition and it's really impacting my energy. Um, you know, thanks for asking if they ask you how you were doing. And then they might say, well, what's going on? And sometimes I'll say, do you want the nickel version or the $10 version? Because the $10 version, I'll give you all the gory details and it's going to be really long or I'll summarize the nickel version. So if you ask them a question, they might, well, just give me the nickel version yeah. or, or they might say, oh no, I want the $10 version. And then you could say, you know what, let's just have a virtual coffee next week. So I can do that. Right. You can, you can divert it out of the moment. Um, so those are a couple techniques as well. Um, you could also say, um, do you really want to know the details, you know, and you can laugh. So if the heaviness isn't your style or your personality, you can say, do you really want the gory details of my meadow? And you can laugh and they might laugh too. And they're like, no, no, that's okay. You don't have to. And you're out of it, you know? Mm -hmm. So allow the lightness of your personality to come through. Um, you could also say things like, 
you know, I'm facing this new medical diagnosis and it's a little bit exhausting and I'm optimistic that I'm going to feel better on the other side of it. So at, I mean, only if you really are, I mean, I'm not telling you the fib about it, but if you are a positive person and you don't want things to be heavy in the conversation, then you can add that to the end. Say, I'm really optimistic about feeling better, you know, soon. Um, the other thing though, too, and this again comes a little bit back to what I do with my clients is you are not responsible for their reaction or response. And so while you might want to keep it lighter instead of heavier, it might be up to them whether they're making it lighter or heavier. So extract yourself from that responsibility of their reaction and just stand in your own power of how much you want to say um, in that particular moment and let them deal with whatever happens on their end. I know in my case, even though my parents probably don't consciously know it, I don't think they're, they don't. God bless my parents, but I just don't think they are tuned in to the, like the, you know, what is it called? The EQ of, of this type of thing. But I think they take responsibility. I think they're, they're sad because they know they've passed it on to me, whether they're conscious about it or not. So, um, you know, they want to help me, but they also are feeling like guilty and, and, and I'm not responsible for their guilt. Um, you know, so I do my best to let them have their stuff. You know, that's their dance space. <laughs> this yeah. is my dance space yeah. as dirty dancing would say. So no, and I totally concerns. agree with you. And I think that, you know, Aaron, this is your story. This is your life. This is, this is however you feel comfortable in that moment. And if you don't want to talk about it, you don't have to talk about it process point Beth absolutely and and you can just say if somebody says you know or you if you first tell them hey I got this thing going on you can then say in the same breath but I really don't want to talk about it Uh, when I'm ready I will reach out but right now this is and if they're like well how can I support you I need you to honor how what I feel and what right now what I feel like is I really don't want to talk about it and that's the end of it it's this is your life you're this is yours this is not your spouse's. This is not somebody else's. This, this is happening to you. So you do yes. you and give yes. your, like and you said, give yourself the grace and permission to, to process yeah. this, how you want to process this. And I love, I mean, what you said about the person say, what can I do to support you? Be ready to answer that question in specific ways. Like, you know, it'd be great if you just text me a little more often just to check in Or could we have a girlfriend date, you know, virtually once a month, like think about what you really need or want from that person. So that if people do offer to support Mm -hmm. you, that you can ask for what it is you want. If, if you know, at that point, yeah, yeah, Beth, your point about, you don't, you can, you can honestly say that, like, I know you're concerned about me and I'm just not up to talking about it right now. Um, You know, I'll let you know when I'm ready for that. Yeah. And shut it down. Yeah, <laughs> shut it right. down. Exactly. And move on. To Set those healthy families, boy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So let's switch gears for a second. And we're going to okay. wrap up. We need to talk about what you do for a living. Because, oh. <laughs> and I, I love what you do. You've helped me tons. I know you've helped a lot of other people. So explain to the world, all of your amazingness and what you're doing. Yes. Well, as you well know, it's hard to put in a simple sentence, but I really support people, what I call soul powered people to get where they want to go in life and work. If they're feeling stuck or stagnant 
stuck in a rut or even stumped. These are the S words that I love to use and nothing you're doing is helping you grow or progress. Then I'm that person uh, to come to because I can help you see the BS, the belief systems in your way. I can teach you the tools you knew you need, like even some of these conversational tools, that's my expertise, like what to say to your boss, what to say to your spouse, um, you know, how to set healthy boundaries, how to own your ideal life design. But in essence, if you're someone who believes in the law of attraction, likes attract, like attracts like, what you think about, you bring about, then the key to a peaceful and ease of, in life is integration, is not having separateness in work and life, is to find that way to integrate everything because how you are anywhere is how you are everywhere. And the more you can own that, the more you're going to be able to show up in a very strong way. And whether you own a business, I work with entrepreneurs, typically solopreneurs, but I also work with career seekers who are like wanting to change career paths entirely or just wanting to grow in their career or learn how to be a leader better. All of this stuff comes from within. It's not what you do, it's who you be. So if you want a partner and a guide to kind of explore that in, a, in yourself so that you can facilitate your natural evolution and unfolding in your life, then come talk to me. That's what I do. Heck yeah. You're not just a business coach or a life coach. And it's it, like, you're explaining it right now with somebody who's, who's worked with you. It's so much deeper than that. And like, one of the things that I can honestly say is if you show up to do the work with you, you get it back a million times in the end. You have to show up though. Like you have to be yeah. willing and ready to work because this isn't, you're not just going to look at them and be like, okay, here you go. Here's all the answers. Like you and I, it's, it was part like business coaching, therapy session, yes. business tears were shed, yes. laughter happened. Like there's a, there's big arcs <laughs> that can go on if you show up and are willing to do the work for it. One of my clients I worked with about five years ago just reached back out to me to work together again. And he's like, you know, the reason I called you is when we worked together before, you helped me more than 15 years of therapy, you know, <laughs> and, and I'm not a therapist, but what I do is very therapeutic. Um, and it is about looking at your own behaviors and, and sometimes the root of those behaviors so that you can decide if you want to keep it or not. So yeah, it is deeper work. So we do that deep dive, but we also do the how-to part, like how yep. to interview if you're interviewing for career change or how to have a sales conversation if you're yep. an entrepreneur. It's, it's all the same. It's all together. And so the better we can embrace that, we're one big pile of muck and we get to just love on it the way that it is and make the changes we want to get where we want to go, then the easier and peaceful your life will be. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if you, if someone was listening right now, who's ready to either jump into entrepreneurship or take a next step in a career or, or whatever it is, uh, what would three really quick tips be that you would give them right now? Gosh, really know what it is you want to do in your holistic life. In my practice, I call it ideal life design. We often start to think about what we want to do, and that's the outward action. But the inward dive is really the key. So the the so identify your ideal life design. Really know how you want to be living your life because entrepreneurship can suck you in and spit you out, as can a career. 
So when you set that intention, the universe hears that vibration about what your intention is, what your healthy boundaries are, and will help bring things to you that are aligned. So before you do anything, take that inward look. That wasn't a quick tip. Um, no, the, the no, other, that was pretty quick. No, 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 that was okay. pretty quick. Yeah. Um, the second thing I would say, especially entrepreneurs, um, but it, it might be true in a different way for career seekers. If you build it, they won't come. Yeah. Okay. It, the first five years of my first um, businesses, because there were two in that time frame, huge monumental on paper failures because I totally underestimated the time, money, and energy and network that I would need for that to be successful. And it took me that long to kind of get my footing and gain traction and things went from there. So really do what you can to be super realistic and prepare yourself for those changes as much ahead of time as you can, because it's easy to underestimate it when you take that, that dive. I see it time and time and time again. Uh, let's see, tip number three. You know, I would have to say that it is really own your true nature and whatever it is you choose to do. I work with business owners sometimes to reconstruct their business model because they took on something a $10,000 a year coach told them to do because it was successful for that coach, but it didn't fit that person at all. So really own your true nature, your personality, how you like to work, how the work you really want to be doing, um, and really own that before making a decision. Or, I mean, there's always time to change, so you can always change things up. But just really take a look at what fits you. I, I work with a lot of recovering people pleasers because I have been one. And we are so used to conforming and fitting into the space around us so that we're accepted and we become a part and we belong and they'll like us and they'll give us raises. But all that does is, is degrades your energy, your motivation, and you start losing yourself in it. So be your true self and know that there is a match out there with you. And the more you can vibrate and resonate at that frequency of your true nature, the more that will come back to you. Totally agree. Now, now that we're talking business, promote yourself. How can people get a hold of you? How can they find you? The easiest way is just to go to my website, christineclifton.com, and it's a portal to everywhere else. Um, I'm not that active in my business on Facebook or Twitter. Twitter is kind of my chronic illness support group, but you'll find me on LinkedIn if you mm -hmm. want to look there as well. There's links to my books. I've written three books, so you, they're on my website as well. You can find that. Um, you can join my newsletter if you want to and get a free training that I offer. And if this sounds intriguing and you want to, you know, talk to me about possibly working together, there is a button on the main page to, to book a complimentary discovery meeting with me. So it would be my honor to talk with you. And um, if it's not a if I'm not the right resource, I will help you find one because um, that's who I am. Yeah, totally. And I, I can attest to it. Hit the button. Now, last <laughs> question that I ask everyone, if COVID wasn't a thing, if you had all the money in the world, where are you going and what market are you shopping at? Because you're probably not going to eat somewhere out, but where are you going? Cause usually I say, where are you going and what are you eating? But you can, and if you want to answer that, that way you can too. It doesn't matter. 
Oh, yeah. Well, gosh, I am so obsessed with van life, the idea of potential van life. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm really looking at that as a possibility because it just feels comforting to have all of my things with me wherever I go. And I can follow the warmth of the seasons in the different parts of the country and stay in the type of climate. This is like that- your childhood on wheels now. You realize Oh this. my God, I just, you know, until you said that, I didn't even think about it. Isn't that funny? It's the epitome of how you grew up only in a tiny house on wheels. Right, <laughs> Extra exactly. cozy. Exactly. Um, so I don't know when that will come or if it will come, but it's really appealing to me right now. I just love the idea of, um, being mobile, but still having all of my stuff with me and having a consistent place to sleep. Sleep is major for me. So when I change environments, Um, now eating, yeah, I'm heading to Lake Tahoe for my vacation in a couple of weeks, which is just a beautiful grounding and reminder of what a little dot on the planet that I truly am when I'm in nature, that that's expansive. And yeah, I'll shop at the health food stores, um, make my own little you know, meals for the week. And um, again, I like to take them with me because I like to, I actually, I have hypoglycemia sometimes as well. So I need to have food with me, but I like the, I like the flexibility it gives me. So, um, so yeah, I'm not a big whole foods market shopper, believe it or not. I love Trader Joe's. Harris Teeter out here is really good in terms of healthy and organic and gluten-free stuff. So that's where, that's where I go. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on and for being so open about everything going on in your life. As always, it's such a pleasure to chat with you and to see your oh, smile. You're face. welcome. It was my pleasure. Thanks so much, Beth. All right. Awesome. Have a great day. I'll see you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. Christine, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing all of your health journey and and everything. It really was so inspirational. I will link all of Christine's information in the show notes. And if you need a business coach, she's amazing. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for all of your love and support. If you have any questions for the podcast, shoot me an email. Let's go on a food adventure gmail.com. Don't forget to go to my website for all the show notes, elizabethrfuller.com. And of course, tag me in your food adventures on Instagram at let's go on a food adventure. I will see you next week. Make some yummy food for one another. Lead with kindness and have a great weekend. Bye.